Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter 17. Starting with verse, verse number 12, story here in Scripture that may <clears throat> be familiar perhaps to some. The Bible says, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten, everybody say ten, men that were lepers which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and Jesus and said Jesus master have mercy on us when he saw them he said unto them go shew yourselves unto the priest it came to pass that as they went they were cleansed one of them when he saw that he was healed turned back with a loud voice glorified God fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks and he was a Samaritan everybody say a Samaritan Jesus answering said where there not ten cleansed but where are the nine there are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger and he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith hath made thee whole. I would like to pull as my subject matter a phrase from verse number 17, question format. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Let's talk to the Lord right now that he would help us today. Father, I love you. I appreciate Jesus. God, your abundance. I appreciate, Lord, your spirit, Lord. I, I thank you, God, for your people that have gathered together here today. Lord, we're appreciative of that and thankful. God, we don't want to, Lord Jesus, fail to give you thanks and praise and adoration today. Pray, oh, Lord, you would touch our minds, Lord, individually, collectively. God, let something said, Lord, be of some benefit to somebody in their life. Lord, I know, Jesus, our lives, God, can be, Lord, strengthened by your word, Lord Jesus. And we're just dependent upon that in this service this morning. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Look at your neighbor and ask them, where, where are the nine? Where are the nine? This may be a, a, a little bit of a story or verses of scripture that may have been well treaded over time you may be familiar uh, with the story and what happens therein and so I'll try to use that to our advantage today but these 10 who the Bible states very clearly had this fatal disease known as leprosy a disease that terrified the people of both the old and the new testaments terrified all of them of ancient times largely to the fact because there was no cure for leprosy there wasn't a salve that you could put on it that would eradicate it there was not uh, any pill or concoction that could have been put together in order to take care of it and its severity and it appeared in various forms leprosy did it had different stages of infection from its infancy of starting to come upon the body to more severe places of where uh, it was almost totally in control of the human body. But once it became what would be known as a, a, at a stage or place of malignancy, it was absolutely defined as being terminal. It was absolutely defined as being a very debilitating uh, condition. Uh, and at that stage of the condition of it being terminal, and debilitating the skin according even to study of scripture would turn white as though white as snow and 
most extremities of your body would become very numb and without feeling, unable to know uh, if you was being pricked with a pin, so to speak, at the end of your finger. You would not know it any differently than if it were not there. You were just numb to the feelings, to pains, if you will, even in the extremities of your body. Little nodules upon the skin that arose from this tragic disease would begin to ulcerate. Some of them would begin to burst. So you was just kind of this putrefying, oozing mass that was walking around with the condition of leprosy. The limbs of the body would begin to swell and the hands and the feet would be a little distorted and begin to pull in and be somewhat crippled the bones and the internal organs would be affected by the disease that was, as it would spread. Gangrene was a common, common problem that would arise from these putrefying sores. Gangrene would usually result throughout different portions of the body. Leprosy, according to the Jews, the word that they used for it meant that it was a smiting or a scourge. They, they considered leprosy within itself a smiting or a scourge of the human physical body. There was no way, again, to deal with this. There was no way to deal with it. If you could only begin to understand the mindset of having something that there was no cure for, uh, there was no way to deal with it, uh, the only way that a person could somewhat, you say, deal with it for the sake of the whole public, and that was to separate themselves from the other people. The sufferers had to separate themselves. So not only are you just ostracized to a certain degree because of this dilemma that's come upon your body, but now you're regulated to deal with it all alone, all by yourself in seclusion and kind of a quarantine. They had to be outside of the camp as it were. And so these symptoms showed themselves on the outside. It was more or less an internal disease, but its impact affects and it could be known by the symptoms that took place on the outside of the bodies. It, it affected very much of the nerve endings of an individual's body. And, and it's, it, as it progressed more and more, it done more and more damage as we would suspect any disease to do uh, to the human body. The sufferer suffered much, deadened to pain. So I guess maybe there may be a positive aspect, but there's a sense of negativity in as well. They might not be feeling the pain that it is delivering, but with that, things are starting to happen and things are starting to deteriorate that you don't even realize because there is no pain associated with it. Throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, leprosy was always associated and regarded as a type of sin. The Bible says in Leviticus 14 and verse 2, speaking of this, Leviticus 14 and 2, this shall be the law of of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. It appeared that the law of Moses regarded some type of cleansing, if you will, of the leprous individuals. There's a lot spoken of in the book of Leviticus concerning leprosy. Chapters 13 through 14 say a lot about leprosy. But it had never been used in Jewish history. They had this program set up that if a person was absolutely delivered from leprosy, these are the gifts that they should give according to the law of Moses. But nobody had ever been cleansed per se from leprosy. No one had never known, had, had ever came out of this condition. Yes, we know from the book of Kings that Naaman uh, was cleansed of his leprosy, but more so than being cleansed, he was healed by the almighty God concerning his leprosy and he was not a Jewish individual. Naaman was not a Jewish individual but he was healed of his leprosy. And so many lepers then whenever it was time they would have to come to the priest and ask for a cleansing and so if that were to happen somewhere in the future the priest would no doubt have to dust off Leviticus 13 and 14 just to even know what gifts should be offered because that had never happened in the history of the Jewish nation. Amen. And so since this had never happened, we understand that God all through the Old Testament at times were moving upon men and walking with men and even in the New Testament through Jesus Christ walking with men. And yet we then have this occurrence in our scripture of Luke this morning of all 10 lepers 
receiving a miraculous healing from the Lord. But the Bible says only one returns unto the Lord Jesus Christ to offer thanks. And the Bible underscores and puts emphasis here that this man was a Samaritan. The Bible plainly says that he was a stranger. He was a Samaritan. I believe the scripture wants us to understand that the man who came back and gave the thanks unto and to Jesus was a Samaritan. He wasn't a Jew. He was a stranger, a foreigner, if you will. There were nine Jews, as it were, that received cleansing as well. Amen. But there was only one man that came back to offer a utterance of praise and glorify God. And he was a foreigner. He was a stranger. Those nine other Jews knew more concerning the law of the Jews. They knew more that there had been no one ever have to go with any gifts to the priest concerning the cleansing. They knew that it never happened in their nation of a Jewish person being cleansed of leprosy. They had all of this knowledge that the priest had never had to give any gifts for such a thing happening, such a, a translation, such a healing in their life. They had all this knowledge because they're those of the Jews. They're not like the Samaritan doesn't have an idea concerning all the Jewish law. He he doesn't have an idea of what is expected, how this has never happened for the Jewish nation before. But the nine Jews knew. They understood. They knew what should be provided. They understood how this had taken place. They knew more, had a greater knowledge of all of these things, but they did less. They knew what was expected of the law, how it never taken place, but now it had taken place in their life. But instead of it being the nine returning to the Lord with glorification and, and exaltation of the master and what took place, it took a stranger, a Samaritan that had no covenant with this God that had no, no past relationship with this God to come to him and praise the Lord Jesus Christ and give him glory and give him praise. Can someone say amen? amen. They do more, but they did less. And so the question then that is posed in scripture is this, where are the nine? Because as a Jewish people that are in covenant with God, they were the people that God had placed his stamp of endorsement upon. They are the people that God had blessed. They were the people in the Old Testament that were chosen among all the people. They were the chosen nation of God. He had put his name, he had put his favor upon them outside of everybody else in the world. He said, I'm setting these people aside to be my people. Why? So that they can worship me, the one true God that reigns on the center of the earth. They were privileged to be a different people than any other people. Their lifestyle different. Amen. Their, their way of speech was different. The way in which they conducted themselves different. They had different laws than other nations. Different statutes from other nations. Different observances. Their diets were different. Their conversations were different. God gave them a tabernacle. This is where I want you to worship me at. These are the sacrifices I want you to bring. And the Shekinah glory all times would fill that place and they would be awestruck by what would happen in the tabernacle in the wilderness. He said I'll even eliminate your enemies before you. These are God's people. The Jews Jewish people, I, I'll make crooked paths straight for you. I'll make exceeding high places low and exceeding low places plain because they're God's people, the Jewish people. He provided for them miraculously time and time again. And not in their history had one of them been healed of this disease and this illness. Yet one would think if he had been there would be no more fanatic worship come from anywhere but one who had been a beneficiary of him. Because we're in covenant. I've been benefited by your provision. I've been around your temple. 
I've felt your presence. I've experienced manna from heaven. I've had water from a flint stone. And so if you are going to heal me of something that's terminal, if you're going to place a hand of favor, of divine power upon me, nobody should be able to outpraise me. Nobody should be able to outworship me. A stranger should not be able can I talk to the church today? There need not be a foreigner or a stranger, if you will, among us that outpraises you concerning your worship, your adoration, your, 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 your praise unto your God. Why? Because you've been benefited by him. You're a covenant people. You've been in his house. You've drank from the water that's come from a rock. You've experienced the mighty... Christ is saying, here comes a Samaritan. Where's my people at? Where are the nine? The old song says, ain't nobody got a right like the children of Lord that's seen the right light, been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I got a right. And I stand here today, and as a Pentecostal, I understand I've been abundantly blessed. As a child of God, I understand. Amen. He said, I called them, they're a chosen people. Chosen, they're a peculiar people. Amen. Is that right? I've called them. From every kindred, tongue, nation, it's happening. He's called us to be children of the Most High God. To do what? To worship that most high God in spirit and in truth. We have been set apart. We have been privileged today. Amen. Different in our lifestyle. Different, amen, in the way of our conversation. In the way that we approach God. Being distinguished, if you will, by his word. And what he's asked of us through his word. And what a wonderful place to worship today. What a wonderful place where heaven can come down and touch earth. And earth can touch heaven. And his spirit doesn't just move on us or walk with it but it lives inside of us what a grand place to be in today I'm glad I'm in the house of the Lord I'm glad he brought me I'm glad he brought you out of a life of sin but honey if anybody's going to be doing the glorifying if anybody's going to be doing the praising it's going to be this old boy here because Paul McGee knows too much what God has done for him Some of you are sitting here and you could start telling the story. This is what God did in my life. This is what God did in my life. Right here back in that year, at that moment in time, he did this, this, and this. Honey, let us not be on the short end of the stick. Let us not be the ones that going on about our journey. Let's return and let's give thanks. Let's return and let's give praise. Let's return and give exaltation to the Lord. Nobody knows like you all know. even a child of God in the worst trial, tribulation of their life is blessed beyond measure. Every individual that's been delivered if we could say from leprosy that which was an Old Testament type for sin should be a fanatical worshiper. Based on that premise alone, fanatic worshiper. Because if anybody should have praised the Lord that day and this day, it should be us. It should have been the Jews. It should have been the Jews. <laughs> I'm not a Samaritan today. Gentile that's been grafted into the Jewish branch. So I pose a question this morning. I do this with all sincerity and, and as a springboard with the word of God. Amen. Being my springboard today. 
Why is it that sometimes it seems people who know God less praise Him more? Case in point, you come into the church, your knowledge of God is little, but your worship and praise is great. I've seen many new converts in the history of my life. They were not afraid to clap, not afraid to take a march, not afraid to jump up and down, not afraid to be vocal in any aspect of the service. They could really care less who thought or what thought. Small knowledge, but great worship. How is it? Then the more knowledgeable we come of God, the less thankful we are of him. Then I've seen they grow older. They know more about the Bible than what they've ever known. God's been them at every juncture in the road since the time that they came in. And now they're conscientious about their hand clap or their hand raise or if, you know, I just don't feel up to it. But in their emphasis, nothing matters concerning that. It does happen, but I'm not indoctrinating that it should happen. All right? Can I say it again? I said it does happen, but I'm not indoctrinating that it should happen. If something happens continuously and it is wrong, it doesn't make it right. It's still wrong. It just means that we're headed in the wrong direction. Amen. It's by no means given an okay or a stamp of approval just because it's more frequent or it happens to more people. No, no, no. It should not happen. That really offends the Lord to think that he gets glory from us when we know less about him rather than we know more about him. I'm serious today, folks. I've seen some of the best of preachers set cross-armed during services. And honey, if there's anybody that should praise the Lord, it should be the preacher. He studied his word day in and day out. Amen. Knows the precepts and the concepts of God. Amen. He, he's the husbandman. He should be the first partaker, if you will. And yet he doesn't. He knows a whole lot more, but does a whole lot less. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. If anybody... Is going to lead in praise. It should be those who are children of God. Let me, and I'm not trying to cross over denominational lines, but if there's any denomination that should give him praise, if there's any denomination that should give him praise. It's those that have been born again of the water and of the spirit. I don't want to be outpraised by anybody else because I'm in covenant with him. I don't want someone to say, boy, they really got it going. They really know how to worship and shout. And they have less knowledge, but they praise him more. No, let it be the church that know him in spirit and in truth, 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 truth. That opens their mouth, claps their hands with abandon, say, I glorify you, Lord. anybody's going to praise him it should be us yeah mm-hmm. I don't like it if anything comes in my life and it shows that I'm past due for that matter, I can't really think of a time because I try to be diligent, you know, about bills and things of that nature. Want things to be done on time when they should be. I know over a period of time, maybe we've had some books at the library. That's went past due. That frustrates me because what that tells me is this. 
I've been owing something to someone that they deserve but been withholding it. It is by all rights, even in the court of law, could be decided it's theirs. But I've been withholding what belongs to them. Let me tell you, the, new, the church today is past due on their praise. They're past due on their worship. Because if we were to take it to a court of law, it says he's deserving of it. If we're to take it to a court of law, it says it should have been given long ago. If we're to take it to a court of law, he is deserving of it. I don't want to be standing in the shoes that I've withheld something that is deserving of the one to whom it belongs to. I don't want to be in arrears in my praise, my worship, my adoration to the king. And here's the bulletin. Start now to the day you die. And you'll always be past due. Start now and give it everything you got Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. And you'll still be past due. Because you'll never be able to give him enough credit, enough praise for what he deserves. I'm always in a position that I'm past due in my praise. There's never a moment in my life that says I'm ahead. There's never a moment in my life that I says I did enough last service. I don't have to worry about this service. No, every morning I wake up, I'm still trying to make some ends meet to get up current in my dues concerning praise. But I'll never, never get it done. So what that tells me every day, every day, every day, I gotta continue lavishing him with love. I gotta continue worshiping him with unrestraint because I'm past due. We've been created with this skeletal structure. 206 bones supporting us. But in reality, if God withdrew his hand from you, I don't care how much structure of a skeletal system you had, your real support's gone. For this, I give him praise. 600 muscles in my body allow me to move. But it's in him really. As Acts said, that we live and we move and we have our being. For this, I give him praise. There are two million optical nerve cells in my eyes that let me see. But really, it's God. <laughs> in a spiritual sense, that's removed my spiritual blindness. And so for this, I give him praise. I have a heart that is the size of my fist that pumps 10,000 liters of blood every day. There are 60,000 miles of blood vessels in my body. <laughs> and that's great, but it's really because of his precious blood. Woo! That gives me sustaining life. For this, I give him praise. I have a brain that weighs somewhere around three pounds. There's 100 billion neurons in my central nervous system feeding me with thousands of pieces of information every second. But in reality, all I need to know is as Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. For this, I give him praise. And it's with all of that today, folks, that I understand that he's not afar off, but he's near. He's right here, even in this place right now. Amen. God, out of all the 8.4 million creatures upon this planet, amen, as human beings, he has given us the ability to speak, the ability to praise God. Out of 8.4 creatures that cannot give an utterance with true meaning, amen, he gave human beings, 
the ability to articulate and function with thought in order to praise their God. Amen. So if anybody's going to praise him, if anybody's going to worship him, it's not going to be the 8.4 million. It's going to be the one creature that was created in his likeness. After his image, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So Luke 19, Sister McGee, Luke 19 and verse 39. Some, Luke 19, 39, and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out if the only ones that I created with the intelligence to speak an understandable constants and vowels phrases and words if they don't do what I created them for I'll call something that wasn't created for that I'll call something that is strange to that to praise. A foreign, foreign to that capacity and that ability. I'll cause them to praise if the ones that I created to be the praisers don't. The Bible, folks, I read this scripture every day and every year and I, I read this Bible through and through again and again. Again, I see over and over that it's filled with praise. You shouldn't have to apologize for any exuberance that you might put forth in praising and worshiping your God. Hallelujah. Hear me? Don't you ever think that you need to apologize because you stood up and you clapped your hands on an Easter Sunday. Don't you ever think you should apologize because you gave out a war cry with your hands raised when you had some guests sitting around you. Don't you ever think you need to apologize for taking a lap around the church in the middle of a sermon. No, you need not to apologize. We only need to apologize whenever we're not doing those things aforementioned. When we're not lifting our hands. When we're not stomping our feet. When we're not lifting our voice. When we're not being calamorously foolish for the Lord. That's the only reason an apology should be necessary. With so many commands for not just suggestions with so many commands written in scripture that we might praise God who of us truly in our right mind could call ourselves a Christian and not worship Part and parcel is the job description of Christianity. Go run through some verses here, Sister McGee. You don't have to, you don't have to go with me. But Psalms 134 and verse two: Lift up your hands. That's an imperative, understood you statement. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Who's that talking to? It's talking to you. We read that. That's what it is. You're trying to was he talking to David? He's talking. He's talking to us. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. So next time you're wondering whether or not you should raise them, don't wait for direction from the pulpit. Don't wait for direction from the keyboard. It says let us all just raise our hands right now. You've already received your direction. Psalms 134 and two. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Folks, if there's any place you should be lifting up your hands. Lift them at home. 
Lift them in your car. Lift them on your job. By all means, though, don't exempt lifting up your hands for the sanctuary. Lift them up in the sanctuary. Psalms 149 and verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. High praises of God be in their mouth. At times, we fulfill the second part of the scripture without the first. We come with our sword in our hand to do battle. But don't battle with what's in your hand unless you're willing to battle with some praise in your mouth. High praise. Someone say high praise. I don't know if it's all that. It is all that. Amen. Sickness and diseases fell off people. Why they praised. People received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why they praised. God's turned the battle and the tide of war in people's lives that they've been dealing with during moments of, I just don't know if it's all in that. Let me tell you something. Prove God today. Prove God today. Go on and do it and see what will come out as a result of it. Prison doors were open for Paul and Silas. Why? Because they praised. They worshiped. Go on and try God. I don't know about that. Well, prove me wrong and praise him and tell me nothing happened. Prove me wrong. Prove his word wrong. I double dog dare you to try to do it. Psalms 118 and verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. So here we have a relationship. It's saying, give thanks to God because he's good and his mercy endures forever. So here's when, here's when you're off the hook. You can stop giving thanks when he's no longer good and he doesn't have any mercy. But scripture already told me his mercy endures forever. So what's that telling me? I'm never off the hook. Well, nothing's really just happened right now. You receive mercy's new, Scripture says, every morning. Someone say, I'm past due. I'm past due. Give thanks unto him because he's good. His mercy endureth forever. Psalms 122 and verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen. I was glad. I heard Sister Craig. Amen. I was glad. And they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Man, I want my response to be, when they say it's Wednesday night, Wednesday night, I'm not like, oh man, really? I don't want, I don't want Sunday morning to happen around my house my kids to grow up hearing well come on we got to go to church I want to embed in the minds of those little boy and that little girl on Sunday morning dad is it school day no what is it it's church day and even if there's a little hint of a oh I want them to know hey kids we get to go to God's house today what a privilege we have to get to go to God Because they're going to take their cue from me and you as being adults and parents. The next generation is going to take their cue from the generation before them. How happy were they to be in God's house? How happy were they to lift their hands? How happy were they when the songs were going? That they wasn't the beat that was driving them. It was the edging of God's spirit that was pushing them and driving them to search and long and yearn. They're going to take their cue from us. Psalms 118 and verse 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice. With the words there, we will rejoice and be glad. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will. You know what that is relaying to you and I? The writer is saying, this is the day the Lord has made. We will. You know what he's saying? I'm making a conscious choice and decision right here today to rejoice 
and be glad in this day. Though it may be beginning and I don't know what is coming down the pike in this day. I'm making a decision. You know, he was already setting himself up with proper reaction and response to whatever may happen in that day. What comes, what goes. I'm making a decision right now from the beginning. I will rejoice. Yeah. Bad news? That's all right. I don't have to respond to that because I already made a decision this morning. I'm going to rejoice. Aches and pains on me today. I don't have to have a reactive response to that because I already made a decision this morning. I will rejoice. Lost a loved one I heard by phone today. I don't have to respond in a reactionary type way to that. I already made a decision this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I've already decided I will. And that's what confuses people around you. Whenever you'll make a decision every day that regardless of what comes or goes I've already made a choice to rejoice a choice to rejoice let it be your mantra a choice to rejoice I don't understand how you keep this all together whenever you're going through what you're going through I'll tell you how because I've already made a decision today that I'm going to rejoice and I am going to be glad in it is that saying that you're glad about everything that's happening to you no 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 but it's understanding the one who created the day also controls the circum. The one who created the day is the same one that controls the circumstances of the day. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the creator of the day stepping inside my Sunday and saying, fear not, be not afraid. And I'm saying, God, I'm going to rejoice. God, I'm going to stop. I'm not apologizing for that. What do I need, Pastor? Tell you what you need. You just need to make a conscious choice. You need to make a conscious choice. I've been with some of you in your hospital rooms when you're going through surgeries. Had some of the most positive outlooks telling me everything's going to be all right. The reason why you did that is because you made a choice. Whenever that new dilemma came in your life, you just going to rejoice. You just going to be glad. Well, honey, just because the storms pass doesn't mean that you shouldn't still be making the choice to rejoice and be glad. I remember, Brother Mason, one of the times that you were laid off, lost your job, walking out to the car. You said, I know in whom I have believed. What? 
I'm not, I'm not giving any adherence right now to the circumstance, but I'm looking back to the creator of the day and I'm gonna rejoice and I'm gonna be glad in it. Honey, strangers shouldn't be doing that. Foreigners shouldn't be doing that. But the children of the most high God should. If you'll raise your hands right now to the Lord, please. Amen. In case we haven't upon it throughout the way Psalms 150 verse 6 just kind of summed it up in case someone didn't understand or didn't grasp a hold it just said let everything that hath breath praise the Lord praise ye the Lord the dead don't praise the Lord but the living do I was praying one day this week and God brought a scripture back to my mind it's in Luke, it's also in Psalms. But particularly in Luke, it's whenever the Lord came in and he turned over the tables of those money changers and such in the temple. And the disciples spoke of him. They, the Bible says they remembered the scripture. It's the scripture that's in Psalms that says, everybody listen, it said, the zeal, you hear me? The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now, I want you to understand something right here. So many times in my perusal reading of that, years of my life gone by, always thought in the terms of the zeal of the Lord hath ate himself up or the zeal of whomever was speaking had ate themselves up. But that's not the way the scripture states it. Misread it for years. It says the zeal of thine house or thine being yours, the zeal of your house has eaten you up. If we restructure this in English terms, just like if you would do a Spanish and English, you know, house of my father is father's house, possessive. Zeal of thine house or zeal of your house is the house's zeal. The zeal belongs to the house, not to the individual. David said, I'm devoured. I'm totally consumed by the zeal of the house of the Lord. In other words, there should be so much zeal in God's house People are consumed by what takes place in God's house. Listen to me. The word zeal, whether it's the Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, it basically means this. Heat. The root of the word means this. To heat. It's talking about heat. I'm not trying to get all whacked out here, but my mind, again, you know works just a little off key. Any substance, whatever it is, Whenever that thing becomes hot, a little science, a little science for us today. Whenever that thing becomes hot, that indicates that the molecules that make up that substance are moving more quickly than what they formerly moved. And as they're moving quick, they're bouncing off one another and generating heat. So something hot indicates that it's made up of molecules that's vibrantly in motion. They said the zeal of God's house, the hotness, the heat of God's house consumes everybody around it. And if God's house is hot, that means the contents of God's house are moving very rapidly in motion, shaking, if I might say, and quake. A hot church is the product of a moving church. 
A hot church is a product of a worshiping church. A hot church is a product of a praising church. Stand with me, I'll be still. I'm not done, but I'll be still. One of the old songs we used to sing is for every mountain you brought me over. For every trial you brought me through. For every blessing. Hallelujah. For this, I give you praise. I end with this verse. I'll, really, I'll, I'll end, okay? Everybody say he's going to end. Appreciate y'all telling me that. Psalms 103. Sister, get this for me, please. Psalms 103, start with verse 1. David writes, Psalms 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord on my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord on my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And enumerate here the benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. David writes and says, I'm going to bless the Lord. Now listen to me. David's not saying, Sister Craig, in the scriptures here, that he's blessing the Lord for everything that had happened, for every past benefit. That's not what the scripture relates here. But he's telling us that we bless the Lord not just for the past benefits, but for the benefits that we are walking in right now. Because each of those little enumerations of what God has done, the benefits, verse 3 through 5, look at the verbs there. Forgiveth, healeth, redeemeth, crowneth, satisfieth all those are verb tenses and you've heard me say it but with the eth that doesn't mean that they have happened and are happening but are going to happen in other words that means for if you will he says i'm going to bless the lord for all of his benefits who forgives and continues to forgive who heals and continues to heal who redeems and continues to redeem he who crowns and continues to crown. He who satisfies and continues to satisfy. I'm praising the Lord, not just over what he's done, but what he's doing, and still yet what's in my future of what God's going to do. Why? Because I don't want to come up past due. He's owing to it. He's owing to it. Hallelujah. If we bow our heads all across this place. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.